Hey guys, it's Simon, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming you to episode 9 of Learning from Humanity with Simon Funk, the old and the bold. Today, I got to speak with Riley Zondervan. Riley was raised to be grateful for all the good things in her life. From that place of gratitude, she now advocates for an equitable society with a focus on challenging and dismantling systemic injustice. She's presently doing this as the president of one student organization and a founding member of another. A few of the things we discussed are the interconnectedness of equity and diversity, the importance of starting with yourself, being your own best friend and advocate, and how awesome journaling is. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, Riley Zondervan. So Riley, what do you think living well looks like? Oh, that's a pretty big question. Um, me personally, I think that living well is setting boundaries. Okay. Um, and taking your mental, emotional, physical well-being into consideration in every environment that you interact in. Um, and effective communication, I also think, is really important to living well because that coincides with having good boundaries. And I think that... Effective communication allows us to build and foster strong relationships that support our overall well-being. Um, I also think that you know humans are really interdisciplinary, <laughs> and you know we have a lot of interdependency. And our modern society kind of tries to teach us that we don't have a lot of <laughs> interdependency when we really do, and we're really social creatures. And mm -hmm. you know, connection is something that can really support you know, your overall well-being in terms of, you know, who's cheering you on, who's, you know, breathing down your neck, who's motivating <laughs> you, all of that stuff really comes into play. But we also have to maintain a level of self-advocacy in those relationships. So boundaries is really important and, you know, keeping ourselves as, as the main focus in some ways, right? Okay. So. Very cool. Would you be able to elaborate on a way that the, the listeners could possibly... A way that they could, something that they could do that would make it easier for them to set boundaries. <laughs> because it's, it's tough. Setting boundaries is really tough. Uh, and I'm sometimes my biggest hypocrite because I always tell people, you need to set boundaries. You need to, <laughs> you know, advocate for yourself. And then sometimes I struggle to really do that too. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely, I extend a lot of empathy to everybody in that <laughs> circumstance because it is hard to be your own, you know, self-advocate. Um, but I think in terms of setting boundaries, you have to be honest with yourself first, right? Because you can set internal boundaries in terms of where you're prioritizing your time or your capacities. And you have to check in with yourself before you can set those boundaries with other people. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, I think that engaging in self-reflective practices is super helpful in terms of something tangible that you can do, um, like journaling, for instance. Okay, cool. And, you know, having that opportunity to write down how you're genuinely feeling and process through those emotions, right, about what, what's happening, what your capacities are when you're feeling overloaded or mistreated and use that as a way to self, you know, check in and then also develop a way that you think you can respectfully communicate that to somebody else, oh, Okay. Yeah, right? Yeah. So you can get all of the garbage out on paper <laughs> when you're talking to yourself about like, you know, or rage or whatever emotions that are bubbling up and then use that as a way to kind of summarize 
mm-hmm. things are feeling so that you can respectfully communicate those to other people. So a self okay. check-in before you do a relationship check-in with somebody else could okay. be a, a good tool. <laughs> Very high chance that that's going to positively impact whatever outcome yes, there hopefully. is in the future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> At least I that's think my so. guess. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean... It's hard to maintain effective communication when emotions are high. So having mm-hmm. that step back and, you know, whether that's a walk and, you know, you just talk to yourself in your head or whether mm-hmm. you are somebody that needs to write things down, mm-hmm. having that moment of space to be honest with yourself before you're honest with somebody else can really influence, you know, the direction that that, how that conversation is going to go <laughs> yeah. in my experience, at least. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Very cool. So you've talked a lot about relationships and the way that we interact as humans and how important they are. What are your personal thoughts on relationships, especially the one with yourself? Oh, um, I think that you should be your own best friend. Okay. You should be your partner. You should be your self-advocate. You should be even your parent sometimes. (laughs) Um, Because placing expectations on other people at least in my experience, often can lead to harm. It can either turn out super great or it can turn out not amazing and that can lead you into a spiral of self-doubt, right? So I think that you really need to be in charge of showing up for yourself first. Okay. Um, And then, you know, once you feel confident and fulfilled in who you are and your purpose and your journey, then we can extend into engaging in relationships with other people. Um, and I think that the better that you know yourself and the more comfortable you are with yourself mm-hmm. and confident, that benefits your relationships because you're able to be honest and be authentic and demonstrate integrity in those relationships, which mm-hmm. are things that I really value. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that relationships with other people as well, you have to consider where you're investing your time. Mm. Because if you're investing a lot of time and energy into somebody and it isn't being reciprocated, Mm -hmm. what benefit is that actually proving to you, right? Is it a benefit or is it draining, right? So I see it as you want to be happy as your own and then everybody else is like an awesome, great addition. (laughs) And the hope is that they are an awesome, great addition majority of the time and that they fuel you with good energy and motivate you and support you, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But at the end of the day, you have to be the one person that shows up for yourself, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. This is one thing that I want to put in from my side of things. When you were talking about you uh, not putting energy into people who are kind of not bringing it back to you, Mm I think that if they aren't bringing it back to you, that means that you, the two of you aren't really, there are people that you could interact with that would be better for both of you. Mm-hmm. That by, like, by not continuing a relationship that they aren't super interested in, you're actually helping them oh, to sure. some extent because you aren't, you aren't pushing something on them. You aren't bringing something forward that isn't the best for both of you because you aren't both fully invested. Mm-hmm. And then you can both find people that you can fully invest in and then you'll both be better off. Mm-hmm. So it's not only selfish. Yeah. I so. think as well that takes into play consent in relationships. And that's mm-hmm. not even just consent in terms of, you know, hey, can I touch you? It's emotional and mental consent. It's, mm-hmm. you know, sharing vulnerabilities and making sure that that person has the capacity to receive those vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, you know, if you've had a really rough day before fully unloading on your partner when you get home, <laughs> you know, and saying, 
you know, starting to swear and releasing that emotion onto mm -hmm. them, doing a little check-in and saying, hey, do you, how, like, how was your day? Do you have the capacity to hear me out right now? Because mm -hmm. I really need somebody just to talk to. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people have a lot of things on their mind, right? So mm -hmm. just having that, you know, consent in relationships as well about capacities and the fine balance between this is you and this is me and this is us is something that I mm -hmm. think is you know, really important. And if somebody's constantly just unloading all of their crap onto <laughs> you, you know, without doing a check-in, uh, I think that maybe that's, you know, you might need to tell them, hey, politely, can you try and go to therapy where there's people that are paid to listen to you do this? Because I am not capable of, of bearing all of your emotional and mental burden on top of my own. Oh my right? goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any thoughts on relation, like, Love, loving relationships this is, would be as well, anything that's romantic and then the other would be friendship do you have any thoughts on those two specifically um i personally i'm somebody that doesn't have a lot of friends i guess i would say I more have hmm. more acquaintances okay. um just because the way that i define friendship sometimes doesn't coincide with how other people define friendship i okay. think friendship's very intimate Mm -hmm. I think that you share a lot of your vulnerabilities and your authentic self with people. So I'm quite a bit weary in terms of who I open up to. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't be friendly with people and say mm -hmm. hi to them and have friends for certain areas of your life, like work mm -hmm. friends, school friends, all of that stuff. But people that I genuinely would consider a friend, like full circle, mm -hmm. there's very select people, I yeah. guess I would yeah. say. Um, and in terms of romantic relationships, I kind of consider it in the same way. Um, like I've been with my same partner for almost four years now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we've grown a lot together. And I think that, um, again, it comes back to the same principles of, you know, having check-ins and making sure that alongside your growth you're growing together right mm -hmm. and also really trying to stray away from interdependency because that's great in some circumstances mm. but you still need to be your own person at the end of the day right and that that person friends and romantic should always be you know or should you know 85 percent of the time <laughs> be somebody that's positively contributing to your life in a mm -hmm. way that you know you can feel f fulfilled in yourself and then have them be, mm -hmm. you know, a great add-on would be huh. the way that I see it. <laughs> yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about putting time into people. I personally think about life as like a series of bets where it's like I'm putting in this much time, this much money, this mm -hmm. much effort into anything that comes my way. Yeah. How, what do you think is worth betting on? Yourself. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, at least specifically myself as a self-identifying cisgendered woman, um, in society, you know, gender roles are, have a high influence on our life path, on what we're taught about ourselves and, you know, our aspirations, what mm -hmm. we're conditioned to believe as young <laughs> children. So I think that kind of 
investing in yourself and defying those odds despite what other people think, you know, whether okay. that's society or what your parents think of you is really important. And chasing your dreams, huh. your goals. And, you know, even if things don't seem manageable or realistic, mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you shouldn't go after those goals. Um, like I... If you asked me when I was in my first year of undergrad if I would be, you know, where I would be, definitely <laughs> wouldn't say where I am today. So I think that you really just have to try and defy all odds and release other people's expectations of you and put basically, you know, your feet in your shoes and walk where you want to go. <laughs> so, yeah. Where did you find the strength to differentiate yourself like that, to take an uncommon path? <laughs> I don't know if I take like necessarily an uncommon path. Mm -hmm. I think we all have our unique ones. Yeah, well, I'll um, take your unique path. <laughs> I, I think I was really inspired by, I have two older sisters. Okay. And they're very ambitious women. Um, and they really set an example for me, like at the start when I was young, in terms of chasing academic achievements and athletic achievements and working in community and being strong leaders. So I think that they were really a, a large um, influence on me growing up in terms of my values and aspirations mm -hmm. and seeing them be role models in terms of them chasing after things that typically wouldn't be seen as, you know, achievable necessarily hmm. um and i also think that their strong personalities and perseverance and dedication was really influential on me in terms of trying to combat gender roles and taking on more authoritative positions and really just being that person who's going to speak up for something hmm. even though everybody thinks that they should be quiet okay. um so yeah <laughs> very cool so there's two ways that i want to go and one is i'm gonna i'm gonna come back to this one and i'm gonna ask you how your parents what your parents taught you that set you up to live well mm -hmm. and then the other one the other direction that i'd like to go right away <laughs> is you said speaking up for things what do you believe is worth speaking up for or fighting for i think there's a lot of things worth fighting for um I tend to invest most of my fighting energy, I guess, <laughs> is how I would phrase it, in combating social injustices, mm -hmm. um, specifically systemic injustices, and working towards creating more inclusive and equitable spaces and mm -hmm. dismantling colonial systems of oppression that have for time immemorial largely influenced marginalized communities mm -hmm. and you know me personally i am a sixth generation settler my okay. family originally arrived to what is coloni colonially referred to as canada on the unceded territories of the Mi'kmaq nation um and then immigrated or migrated i guess west mm. um throughout the last century or so okay um so as a white person uh, and a person that is inherently benefits from these structures and systems of oppression that, you know, uphold 
our education systems, our social systems, political systems mm -hmm. that were basically created to benefit me. <laughs> and yeah. starting to really listen to marginalized communities and hear their voices and amplify their voices okay. and use basically work towards making a more equitable society for everyone mm -hmm. uh, and recognizing privilege and power and positionality and doing so is really important so that's okay. that's kind of where i um try to invest majority of my fighting time <laughs> <laughs> i guess <laughs> fighting's the right word i don't know <laughs> I think that fighting can show up in a whole bunch of different ways and it could just be speaking out on someone's behalf or putting in a whole bunch of effort and it sounds like that's what you're doing so I would count it as fighting. Yeah, I have been in the process recently of trying to disregard violent language from my vocabulary. Okay. So I see it maybe like advocating might okay. be a bit yeah. of a better word. Uh, um, standing up for? Yeah, something along those lines. Okay. Just, I mean, like, I, I fully understand what you're saying in terms of fighting being... <laughs> in um, the physical violence In be, physical violence, absolutely no. not. Um, but maybe, like, yeah, I guess I kind of agree. Maybe. Okay. The word fighting <laughs> is under... Um, what's that? What's that word? Under surveillance. Under question at the moment. Okay. We'll come back to that. That kind of... <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. At least to me. <laughs> so you mentioned an equitable society. What do you? What would your vision for an equitable equitable society be? I'm tripping over my words, but oh. <laughs> um, I think that equity, at least in the way that I understand it, is the idea of having equal opportunity. Okay. Whereas equality is having equal conditions. Mm -hmm. So I think that in order to reach an equi like an equitable society or have equity within Canada, we need to take into consideration systemic barriers and structures okay. and systems that are yeah. previously in place. And in order to do so, majority of Canadians or Canadians, quote unquote, <laughs> um, <laughs> have to learn the real genuine history of Canada and the moral principles that founded our political and governmental <laughs> systems and actually, you know, learn that in order to be able to see how they're still being maintained in regular society. And I think that through that visibility, we can work towards actually making tangible change. Because right now, a lot of people are living in a world of ignorance hmm. and as um one of my favorite phd um federal scholars joni hallis said that power or privilege um is the ability to not have to pay attention <laughs> so there's a lot of people that are really just turning a blind eye and whether that's consciously or subconsciously that that has a contributing factor. Whether you're subconsciously or consciously contributing to harm, it's still harm, yeah. right? So I think that um, we really need to increase visibility about the actual truth 
about our structures and systems mm -hmm. through public education, through conversations such as these, okay. to be able to actually address those systemic barriers to create equity. Right? Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So the first step for anyone who's looking to create a more equitable society would be to educate themselves so they know where to act. Yeah, I think another important thing to note on that is that everything we know today in terms of inaccessibility and oppression has come from the voices of the oppressed, of the marginalized, right? So me speaking here today as a white woman is a result of the oppression that these marginalized communities have experienced, right? Mm -hmm. So recognizing that these aren't ideas that like white folk are coming up with <laughs> just uh -huh. because that's what's being you know, like publicly circulated or being presented in the media. It's the actual, you know, genocidal experiences of marginalized populations, you know, that have actually brought this to people's attention, right? It's those people speaking out and advocating on behalf of themselves. Mm -hmm. And that really needs to be recognized. So when you're going to engage in learning about real history, don't read it from Stephen Harper, <laughs> you know, actually find sources that are real life tales of people who have experienced this, you know, continuing and ongoing cultural genocide and mm. oppression and inaccessibility and impoverishment that has been imposed upon them. Okay. I think that that's a really important part is making sure that you were listening to voices those who have genuinely experienced that okay. because they are so you know covered it over and frequently silenced in hmm. our modern society that hmm. you know is is trying to maintain white supremacist hegemony basically <laughs> so yeah i think that that's a really that crucial piece for people that are hoping to engage in conversations and work towards creating equity and combating social injustices is really to um, listen to the people who are point blank experiencing it. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the primary source. Yeah, exactly. Um, and everything is so like whitewashed nowadays and you know, like the, that mm. whole argument of the freedom convoyers with like, oh, the media is the virus. It's like, well, is it the virus or is it a large capital marketing scheme, <laughs> right? Like who is the, the audience that it's trying to feed into, right? And the story that it's trying to create. So just bringing that critical consciousness to whatever educational material you're engaging with mm -hmm. is really important, I okay. think, so. And then all of the content that's being put into your life should go through a similar sieve to, to figure out whether it's actually reliable or valid or should be listened to right yeah and i think even with that you know that's not to say like fully just write off you know a certain person or certain perspective mm -hmm. it's more that you should be you know listening to people with diverse experiences so that's not mm -hmm. to say that you're going to choose just one specific activist and listen to only what they're saying right so it's more just bringing critical consciousness to the table and whatever, mm -hmm. you know, media or information that you're engaging with mm -hmm. and thinking, okay, what is this person's motivations? What is their mm -hmm. intention in sharing this information? Is this 
you know, coming out of actual hurt and from mm -hmm. a place of, you know, self-advocacy -advoc for themselves, for their, com for their community, you know, um, in seek of justice, or is it coming, or are they coming from a place of, you know, wanting like commodification, <laughs> right? Like wanting to get views and, hmm. and that kind of stuff. I think that that's mm -hmm. really important, especially when we are so overexposed to media nowadays, mm -hmm. that um, that's a really, really crucial piece is, is considering, you know, intention, but also impact. Okay. Are there a couple uh, advocates that you would suggest people go look at? Yeah, so <laughs> that's a hard one because I follow so many people. Um, <laughs> there is one podcast that I listen to almost like on a daily, weekly basis, um, mm -hmm. and it's called Media Indigena. Uh, and um, they have like a Patreon as well, so you can subscribe and contribute financially to support mm -hmm. the podcast which I think is really important and it's hosted by um, indigenous journalist Rick Harp and they bring on a multitude of different indigenous scholars to discuss uh, contemporary issues in across Turtle Island um, particularly either in you know I think most of them are in Canada but some are okay. in, in the states so and then um Authors like Robin Wall Kummerer, I probably didn't pronounce that last part correct, <laughs> but um, and Leanne Simpson and Taylor McNally, I think their name is, is a great activist um, for the defunding the police movement. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, Kim Tolbert is another really great, yeah. awesome scholar. So there's a lot. Um, I could probably send you a list. I've got a huge document actually filled of resources of books and podcasts and websites and okay. all that stuff so okay if you'd like it if you send that to me then i'll include it in the notes on the podcast and then anybody who listens can access it yeah there's there's a lot of people the list is very extensive beyond that but um most of them are once again people that are actually experiencing um the impacts of these structures and systems of oppression and a lot of the information that I get in, you know, um, is sourced from, from them. And okay. I, I want to make sure, make that's, make sure that's very clear that I am not, you know, coming up with all of these epiphanies. It's mm -hmm. all of this information is um, a result of the experiences of those people. Yeah. Um, Know, and harmful experiences of what's been imposed upon them and so mm -hmm. yeah okay so imagine you get to make one change to our present society what would the one change be <laughs> if you can't limit it to one then you can go through uh, a few but <laughs> go me, ahead. um one big change i think that um <laughs> <laughs> that's a hard question because there's I think there's so many issues <laughs> um, I think that um, at least within the context of Canada air quotes um, <laughs> that returning indigenous sovereignty is probably one of the largest things that would have a widespread impact 
in terms of a lot of the guiding principles that um, Indigenous peoples live under in terms of self-government um, and having a lot more, you know, whether that's feasible in terms of fully dismantling the state or not <laughs> is something that's um, a question that's always circulating in my mind. But the idea mm. of land back and that's not in necessarily just a tangible way of actually restoring governance to Indigenous peoples over physical land, but in terms of, you know, um, social norms would even be a way, you know, and ways of thinking. And um, I think that that would be probably the most direct route in terms of changing our society and shifting away from, you know, a capitalist society that's extremely extractive, not only resources, but people's time and energy and money. Um, and I think that, yeah, there's a lot that I could go into about that, but I know we're in a <laughs> short amount of time, so. Okay. Yeah. So let's hop back to the question about your parents. What did you learn from them that set you up to live well? I think my parents, I, um, I spent quite a bit of time outside as a kid. Hmm. Um, I had the privilege of growing up on unceded Sinaiq's territory, um, or Sinaiq's Tamula, um, and I didn't live like in a really urban center. Mm -hmm. um, I lived outside of town, and I think the, the lessons from just growing up where I did really were spontaneous like I don't think that my parents went in with certain you know obviously there's certain values that they'd like to instill in their children but mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the teachings that I received were really spontaneous and a matter of being at the right place right time my dad is a big advice giver and sharer <laughs> um, <laughs> so at any time and moment he's willing to offer up <laughs> a piece of advice about something that he's experienced. So <laughs> More I, than you want sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, definitely. Um, but I think like at the end of the day, it's all valuable because it's coming from you know a place of well-intention and mm. wanting to share and teach us. So I think that um, you know both my parents have always been very supportive of me mm. in my endeavors and, you know, taught me to try and defy all, all odds. So I think that maybe, you know, that had an influence on how my sisters were raised and, you know, mm -hmm. their influence on me. Um, yeah, my, my parents divorced when I was 14. Mm. So I went through um, kind of a time of not rebellion, I guess I would say, but more just like anger and grief and not having the emotional intelligence to process that as a teenager. <laughs> um, so, a lot of, you know, their teachings to me, or at least the things that I really absorbed were from when I was a bit younger. Okay. Um, so I think that, you know, they did have an impact on me growing up as, you know, younger. But as I got older, I was more like, you know, what do you have to say? I don't want to listen to you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm kind of circling back to like, okay, they, they actually do have quite a bit of things to teach me. Um, mm. So I think, yeah, really just... The support and um, self-advocacy is really big and, you know, I had the privilege of eating a lot of nutritious foods and, you know, I had a warm bed to sleep in and, you know, mm -hmm. 
clean water to drink. So even just um, bringing visibility to those privileges hmm. is something that I think, you know, my parents made a critical, you know, effort or oh. a conscious effort to do and just, you know, um, yeah. So I think that that's had an impact for sure. Like, you know, understanding, okay, where, where is your food coming from? And, you know, what does it mean to have this food in, hmm. you know, those, those kind of things. So you're saying that your parents actually let you know, it's like, hey, there are people who don't have these things and we're fortunate to have these things. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. That's really cool. And I mean, by no means were we like exponentially um, wealthy, <laughs> but I think that, uh, you know, whether you are super wealthy or, you know, um, struggling financially, those are just that mm -hmm. small piece of gratitude is something that you can, yeah. you know, try and bring into your day and in, in recognizing the privileges and the things that you do have rather than focusing on the things that you don't, right? Okay. Um, but I mean, I'm also speaking of that from a place of privilege. So mm -hmm. it's very, very different experiences for every everybody. But that's just what I was kind of taught um, growing okay. up was to, you know, be grateful that you have food on your plate and a warm bed to sleep in and Cool. <laughs> nice. So imagine you get to give everyone the gift of a single experience. What would the experience be? It can last two years, it can last 10 years, and it can last 10 minutes. <laughs> Any of the um, I think that an, ex an experience is experience that somebody everybody should have is to feel loved okay. to feel like they have a home and a sense of belonging mm -hmm. um, to be fed to be well nourished um, to feel clean as well and hmm. um, and to feel that they have personal autonomy hmm. that they have a say in what they want to do where they want to go what happens to them um, I think that that's, you know, those things are probably the most, they're privileges, but they're also the most empowering things that you can have, right? And I think that they're basic necessities of things that everybody should have. Mm -hmm. um, so Pavlov's hierarchy of needs. No, it's not Pavlov, it's Maslow's. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, correct? Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. I don't remember a lot of, uh, sorry, scholars names to be completely <laughs> honest in that but i i know what you're talking about yeah yeah basically it starts with food and then it moves on to a, i believe more social needs and then it moves on to self-actualization and only once you move beyond the social needs can you move on to the self-actualization mm -hmm. so if you want to create a a society with stronger and healthier individuals you need those things first mm -hmm. yeah so okay Hmm, I got a few ways that I can go, and <laughs> I am going to choose this one. Okay. What is the smallest, easiest thing that has made your life noticeably better? That you've done that has made your life noticeably better? Journaling. Okay. Well, I already talked about it, but hands yeah, down. Very cool. Um, I think that 
we're really honest with ourselves in our heads. <laughs> and it's a bit harder to be really honest with yourself on paper because <laughs> there's a level of accountability that coincides with that. Um, you know, can't just be like, oh yeah, no, I didn't have that thought because it's actually wrote down yeah. somewhere on a page four years yeah, ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that, yeah, journaling for me, it really improved my emotional intelligence. Mm. It really improved my capacity to advocate for myself and set boundaries and even just accurately articulate what I want to say to people okay. in a way that's respectful and kind. And it's also a super cool tool to monitor your growth. Hmm. Like I read my journal entries from 2016 and I'm like, wow, I am not the same person <laughs> anymore. <laughs> um, so I found it really interesting, you know, it's not only like a self-reflexive practice while you're doing it, but it can also be used, you know, in a larger perspective of seeing where where you were and where you've where you've gone now and kind of the the journey throughout that. So I find it really okay. really valuable. Okay, cool. <laughs> so when you journal, is it kind of like a, a stream of consciousness that gets put straight on the page, or is it a little bit more thought through? Or uh, it's not very organized. No. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's usually a, quite a spontaneous thing, and it's funny because a lot of my journal entries start with, okay, so I know that I was going to do this, I said I was going to do this more, but, and it's like a year later, <laughs> um, but a lot of the time that I go to journal is times when I'm like feeling really upset mm -hmm. or overwhelmed, and mm -hmm. I don't feel comfortable sharing those vulnerabilities with other people mm. yet. Um, so being able to just be honest with myself first mm -hmm. and then, you know, maybe using that as like, okay, is this something that I can share with somebody and, you know, really taking into consideration mm -hmm. trust in my relationships, right? Of choosing what I express with certain people and not. Okay. So it's, it's easier to be honest with yourself than with others sometimes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And then once you're honest with yourself, then you can move on to loving yourself and caring for yourself as the friend that you mentioned. So mm -hmm. it yeah. seems like that's a way that the tool could come into practice. Yeah, definitely. And even just, you know, using like a lot of some people use journals as like ways to manifest and hmm. um, to build confidence by, you know, rewriting multiple times like, you know, I am worthy, I am capable, all of that thing. So there's a lot of mm -hmm. different and there's certain journals that you can buy that have prompts, like gratitude journals and, and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So really, I think it's more just finding a tool that works for you yeah. um, would probably be the best bet. I just have a blank one and then spew word vomit <laughs> <laughs> onto the page and then sort through it later. <laughs> and yeah. then your stream of consciousness is captured and you're like, oh, shoot, this is where I'm at. Now yeah. I know. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. I can feel very... Um, relieving i guess is a way like, oh yeah. yeah yeah i'm somebody that's in my head a lot of the time so mm -hmm. having the ability to kind of just focus in and process things i guess yeah is really yeah. helpful yeah it does the same thing for me it's like one day i was at work and then when i came home i started writing and i was like oh my goodness <laughs> through the writing i realized that i was speaking to myself like the coaches that had made me perform worse spoke to me mm. and then i was like oh my goodness this is not what i should be doing to myself i'm not caring for myself i'm not being kind to myself mm -hmm. and i'm not loving myself well 
And only once I realized that was I able to say, hey, Simon, you realize you aren't treating yourself well. You realize that you aren't loving yourself. And it doesn't work. You've mm -hmm. seen what happens when you treat yourself like this. Yeah. So it's just, that's a little thing to say. Yeah, it works. It's useful. <laughs> I highly re recommend trying it. Yeah. And, you know, even if you just, a lot of people don't even know where to start. And, you know, you can buy a journal with prompts and then mm -hmm. go from there, right? Um, yeah. I think a lot of people don't really have that capacity even to think critically about why they're feeling the way that they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And journaling can be a great tool in, in helping you get there and, you know, building that emotional intelligence so that you can do that outside of journaling too, mm -hmm. right? In your day-to-day -day life and doing those self-check-ins and being like, oh my gosh, why am I talking to myself like this? <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> or why am I talking to other people like this? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. Uh, for me, it often comes down to, did I sleep yesterday? <laughs> and did I sleep enough? Did I eat enough? Is yeah. my nutrition good? Yeah. That kind of thing. For me, that makes a big difference in how I feel and how I, how my emotional state. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. So imagine you're going into education. Mm -hmm. Imagine you get to design a class that everyone has to take in grade 12. Grade 12. What would the class look like? What would it be? Ooh. Um, well, I think and the BC curriculum has actually recently adopted this, um, but they've now made it a mandatory requirement that you have to take an Indigenous Studies class mm -hmm. or um, an Indigenous History class. And I think that that's really important and plays a large process in the truth-telling process of mm -hmm. um, creating visibility about Canada's colonial history, not only colonial history, but genocidal history, right? Because if you think about like mm -hmm. social studies that you took in grade 11, you know, yeah. I learned about like John A. Macdonald and, you know, <laughs> um, upper and lower Canada, all of that stuff, not, you know, indigenous relations or, you know, how there was, you know, indigenous people have been here for time immemorial with, you know, different practices and cultures. And I think mm -hmm. that that is really important in in our education system, but also even just um, accountability-wise, right? For that to be something that's mandated by the government of saying, hey, we're going to teach people about how racist and awful we've been <laughs> for the last, you know, <laughs> 300 years. Um, it's something, I don't know whether that's actually feasible about what they would actually do because that's the idea of like, you know, biting the hand that feeds you in some circumstances. But I think that that would be one of the largest things that needs to be implemented into hmm. our curriculum because, you know, getting to university here and learning about Canada's genuine history and racist and oppressive history and, you know, like the eugenics and all of that stuff hmm. as, you know, a second, third year university student who's consented to taking these classes, you know, and willingly engaged in them myself, not as a mandatory requirement, was mm -hmm. really frustrating that I'm like now only, like then only just learning that as opposed to having that be the kind of main narrative that was actually shared um, growing up in mm. high school for me, right? Mm. And, and having, you know, feeling like I was living under this sheltered umbrella, you know, okay. and being so unconsciously ignorant to hmm. Canada's genuine history and, you know, the implications that that's still having today, right? Okay. 
So it's like, why is reality only hitting now? Why are they only telling us the truth at this point in time? Yeah, and not even like Canada's not telling that truth. I mean, sure they are in the circumstance that because they've found, you know, thousands of unmarked graves and that's something that mm -hmm. they couldn't hide. But that wasn't that they, you know, like they intentionally sought that out and chose to tell that truth. That was something mm -hmm. that they were continuously still trying to bury and hmm. literally and figuratively um, and keep, you know, under under hush-hush because of the harms, you know, that that, or not even harms, but more just the the potential that that has to create uprising against the Canadian government, right? <laughs> and, you know, they don't, they potentially or I think that they intentionally keep things hidden and mm -hmm. from the mainstream media, from our educational institutions, because they don't want to, you know, be held accountable. Hmm. And that's really what it comes down to hmm. is, you know, if people don't know, how are they going to speak up against it, right? Mm. Is kind of how I see our main, our main um, education system right now. Okay. Yeah. So you've spoken a lot about things that are worth putting energy into and all that kind of stuff. How do you go about making decisions and setting priorities? Mm. Um, I'm a big list person. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> so um, writing everything down and then kind of going through that way really helps me. Um, I did hear, I can't remember where I heard it, but this quote about, um, it's not that you don't have time, it's that you're not prioritizing it. Hmm. And I think that that kind of hit home for me because I'm mm -hmm. always like, oh, I'm so busy, I've got so much going on, you know, can't make it to the gym or I can't go for a run or I can't play, you know, pickleball with my friends. Mm -hmm. um, because I just don't have time. But really it's, you know, am I prioritizing these things? Am I yeah. prioritizing time, you know, in my day to have a check-in with my partner or, you know, have a coffee with a friend or go for mm -hmm. a run? Mm -hmm. Because it's not necessarily that we don't have time. It's more just what we're investing our, our energy and our time into is something mm -hmm. that, you know, we really have to start being more conscious of and Priorities are hard, especially, you know, like mm. if depending on where you are in your life, right? Sometimes, you know, if you're struggling financially, you can't say, okay, you know, I'm going to buy a gym pass and go to the gym instead of mm -hmm. working overtime <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, there's constraints that exist. So that's not yeah. to say that that is applicable advice to everybody, um, definitely. But mm -hmm. that's just something that I've tried to be a bit more conscious of and, you know, and knowing that certain things have good impacts on you, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, eating well and getting good sleep, those are things that you know impact your well-being. So if you know that mm -hmm. those things have an impact on you that's noticeable, then you should, mm -hmm. you know, probably move them a bit higher on the priority <laughs> list, right? Yeah. And making sure that you are getting eight hours of sleep or you are getting exercise. And, um, yeah, so just doing those self-check-ins. And even yeah. when you are feeling really overwhelmed, I think that that's you know, there's no better time to have those check-ins with yourself to be like, I've been at my computer for eight hours today, you know, <laughs> and I'm feeling fried and I'm not getting anywhere. And so maybe, you know, I need to take a 30 minute break and go for a walk. Yeah. Right. Even if you're like, I don't have time. I need to get this assignment done because that could actually be more beneficial of yeah. me taking a step yeah. away. So. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a little thing relating to the journaling. One time, I kept track of all the things that I did during a day for a little while. Mm -hmm. And then the things that you put on the list, that tells you where your priorities are. Mm. So I'd see like right at the top of this, every single time, anything that I did, social. So by looking back at that for over a year, I was like, oh my goodness, this is where my priorities are at. So that's somewhere that journaling can, journaling can actually let you know where your priorities are. Absolutely, yeah. Because it, it's kind of a, it's a snapshot of each day where it's like, oh, this is what I actually thought was worth writing about. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of things you don't write about, right? Yeah, that's very insightful, for sure. So that's just something for me that I thought was worth sharing. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point. Okay, so uh, there's a few more places, but I think we should get to know you before we finish. Oh, get are, to know me. <laughs> yeah. What are a few stories that characterize you? Oh, stories like stories that people have... <laughs> People would tell about me or Or that you would tell about yourself uh, or anything that is like, this story tells people about me and this story exemplifies Riley as she is. Uh, um, well, I think that a good way to kind of summarize me is, um, so I worked in the anatomy lab last year mm -hmm. yeah. on campus here. And when you apply to be a lab assistant, you have to basically you put an interview and then um, you get shortlisted and then, or sorry, you put it in a, not an interview, you put in an application, you get shortlisted and then you do an interview. And um, the interview is like, you get like three minutes to teach something and it can be, oh, okay. it can be anything. So you can teach somebody how to tie a shoe, um, how to braid their hair, something like anything you want to do. I need that lesson. <laughs> so basically it's, it's just, you can teach something. That's all it is. And here I am two weeks before my interview, researching stuff, writing things down, coming up with like a list of ideas of what I'm going to do and planning it all out and teaching it to my dad and teaching it to my sister. And, um, and I chose something that was related to anatomy mm -hmm. because I'm like, okay, so I got to prove that I can teach anatomy. Mm -hmm. So I like learned all these muscles and, you know, included their origins and insertions and all of that blab in my little three minute teaching thing. Mm -hmm. And I showed up on the day <laughs> and I had flashcards and I was like in like a blouse and like, you know, like, interview attire mm -hmm. and this person that I um, knew showed up they're like oh hey you're doing an anatomy interview I'm like yeah you know and they were in like gym clothes <laughs> and they were like oh yeah cool what are you teaching and I was like oh I'm you know I'm teaching about tech neck um oh like when you're looking at your computer too much or? yeah um and it's like you know health implications and they're like oh okay I was like oh what are you doing I I'm teaching how to tie a shoe <laughs> I was like oh and that kind of for me just sat in that I'm like wow I'm really an overthinker <laughs> like I'm like definitely always over prepared always thinking things to the full extent to try and see it full and I think that you know that's one of my greatest attributes but it's also can be one of my largest deficits hmm. because I really struggle to like go with the flow and okay, let go yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that kind of 
summarizes it a little bit. Um, you know, and you you having me as a yeah, as a teacher, fun. you probably saw that a little bit in the lab, but um, yeah. Well, the thing that stuck out, I think, to all the students that were there, is that you're very very welcoming, and that mm. everyone is very glad that Riley's there because you're mm -hmm. like. Hey, I know your name. I, I appreciate that you're here. I'm glad that you're alive as a human being. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think everybody perceived. And I think that's what you're trying to put out into the world. Yeah. And you're doing it effectively. No, so. thank you. Yeah, yeah, I think like that's something that's also, you know, um, that you have to take into your everyday consideration is, you know, your attitude and your, your um, intention has a large impact on other people. And mm -hmm. if you make a conscious effort to keep that in mind in how you hold yourself, it can have a big impact, right? Because you never know no. where everybody's coming from, right? Like some no. people just wrote a midterm and they think that they failed and they're like <laughs> head on the table, like, oh my gosh, why are you trying to teach me how to side a fibula right now? It's just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so I think, you know, even just having that, and like I tried to do it every lab, a little disclaimer of being like, if you do not have the capacity right now, take a picture of what's on the board and come back to it later, you know, mm -hmm. because everybody's coming from such different experiences and different walks of life that you just, mm -hmm. you know, have to extend empathy at all, yeah. at, at all um, moments, I think. Mm -hmm. huh. Very cool. Huh. Well, I'm glad that you felt welcome. That's awesome. Oh, I, did. <laughs> I did. I think most people did. Yeah, good. So <laughs> moving on to... Uh, Something about your frameworks of how you think about life. Mm -hmm. If you get, imagine you were to get a right to, oh my goodness. Anyways, <laughs> imagine you get to write a rule book for life. What would a few of the rules be? Oh, I had to write this one down because I was like, there's so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> the list got really long. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, rules schmools in <laughs> some sense because that's like standardization. Mm, guidelines. Yeah, which, yeah, guidelines more. A soft, lumpy framework that maybe you can bounce off of, like, <laughs> like pillows or whatever. A bouncy castle. <laughs> yeah, a little bouncy castle for life, maybe. <laughs> um, because that's to say, you know, a rule book is like, that everybody has to follow that. Chop, right? chop, chop, yeah. chop. No and, exceptions. And it may, that doesn't take, that's not equitable at all. That's not taking into consideration people's past experiences or, mm -hmm. you know, the privileges or, you know, that they do or don't have and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. I think that... Everything or some things that everybody can kind of implement is just to be kind and respectful mm -hmm. to others, yeah. you know, and if you can't be removing yourself from spaces and having a bit of alone time and thinking about, mm -hmm. okay, why can't I be, you know, this way to other people and mm -hmm. um, kind of having that as the, the forefront about like what, you know, thinking about how you're treating others and with what intention. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also think that everybody should be inquisitive. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious and open to learning new things. Mm -hmm. I really value growth um, in my mind. And I think that every day I approach it with that I'm going to learn something new. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that that's been something that's really valuable and has you know, contributed to where I am today. And saying yes to opportunities just because it's like, okay, I have no idea, you know, like what this is, where this is going to lead me, but it might meet me, like help me meet somebody. And then that <laughs> person's going to help me meet somebody else. And yeah. then I'm going to get this opportunity and that opportunity. So just, yeah. um, 
bringing curiosity and you know to to into a daily life is really important and being you know questioning things and not going with the status quo um and then kind of the last one is listening to understand rather than to speak mm-hmm. and that was something that was shared um by i had a, a an effective communications class that i took last semester and that was something that my professor um liam law talked about um in terms of you know working in a helping profession but also in an area like of your your daily life of just mm-hmm. listening because you want to genuinely understand rather than come up with a response <laughs> and take up space in the room so yeah yeah that seems great <laughs> that's brief <laughs> <laughs> the rules could go on forever <laughs> the guidelines the bouncy castle the gui- okay the bouncy castle like could get very huge. large bouncy castle yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> we'd have to throw it on the ocean and just let it float around <laughs> And we might have enough space, but then you'd have to start a new country. Yeah, contribute to the uh, plastic island or whatever. Oh, dear, that'd be terrible. I think terrible. there's five now. Oh, are you serious? Or what are they called? can't remember. Plastic island, garbage island, something like that. Oh, regardless, it's nasty. Uh, it's pretty uh, awful. <sighs> okay, well, you mentioned capitalism and things for Dane <laughs> a little while ago. But I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts on money, work, and business are. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um. I think our. I'm kind of anti-capitalist in quite hmm. a few ways. Um, mm-hmm. I think that our modern kind of work field, and even like our post-secondary institutions and our like educational institutions, you know, um, basically teach people that their lives have to orient around their work Hmm. and um you know that you go to work and then everything outside of that is like kind of your extras but every day your main thing is like you have to go to work um and i don't really agree with that (laughs) (laughs) i think that um our lives should be the things like the main focus should be outside of work. <laughs> okay. So your relationships, learning new things, engaging in activities that you like and love, hmm. um, taking care of yourself through, you know, whether that's like mentally, emotionally, physically, all of that stuff should be hmm. the main emphasis as opposed to um, working towards <laughs> feeding the economy. <laughs> um <laughs> And just, you know, making the rich richer. Hmm. I think that, like, at least me personally, um, I don't ever see myself as being somebody that's going to be the rich of the rich. And I sure as heck don't want to be Hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And I think that coinciding with work and, you know, the economy and money, all of that is greed in our society. And I, um, that's something that I really try and stay far away from um as much as i can um you know and like the accumulation of wealth often comes with a lot of implications and effects on other people you know that um people may not be conscious of like if you think about you know the largest contributors of co2 emissions it's corporate companies and the extremely wealthy 
mm-hmm. the people that are taking two-minute jet planes instead of the people that are, you know, commuting from, you know, their house to school every day, yeah. right? Not to say that those people aren't having an implication, but I think that... Um, and then you think about that, the people that are contributing the lo- like the least to climate change are those experiencing climate change at its highest peak, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people that are experiencing high high weathers and, um, you know, like climate disasters and all mm-hmm. of that stuff mm-hmm. as a result of climate change that was caused by super wealthy people, you know, but they aren't, so super wealthy people aren't going to experience climate change to the same extent as the impoverished because they're wealthy. Yeah, they can afford to fix their problems. Exactly. So, at the expense yeah, of and that even comes into play in terms of like, human rights, not even just the climate crisis, like in terms of um, reproductive care, you know, mm-hmm. rich white women are always going to get safe abortions. Whereas, you know, um, women of color, you know, or sorry, not even women, people who have uteruses um, are, you know, going to face a lot of barriers to do so. So I think that, you know, wealth comes into play in a lot of different areas of life not Mm -hmm. in terms of just you know you make your money and you get out um i think that it's it's really hard not to get sucked into a little cycle of greed Mm. and and privilege and um you know i can't really think of a lot of wealthy people that do good with their money (laughs) um so yeah i'm kind of a eat the rich type of person (laughs) if i'm being fully honest um but yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So basically, you're more focused on being a moral individual according to the definitions that you've provided. Yeah, that I just, first. I really think we need to start prioritizing people over money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's a reflection of like, you think about um, the author um, Ibram X. Kendi talks about in their book um, how racism and capitalism are conjoined twins Hmm. you know and how racism was bred with capitalism in you know selling enslaved people in a slave trade yeah so i think that that's something we really need to take into consideration as well in terms of intersectionality of larger you know ideologies that are perpetuating systems of harm and you know um continually oppressing people it comes down to same same type of ideas when you when you start to look into racism you're going to find capitalism you know when you start to look into capitalism you're going to find the patriarchy so i think Hmm. that um it's kind of not just capitalism i guess but more understanding the bigger picture and then working to to disassemble all of them collectively okay so it's to come to see the world as it actually is and then work to break down the systems that have been made based on power structures that are inequitable and archaic, to be straightforward. Yeah, I guess that's a way to sum it up. I'm kind of all over the map, so (laughs) you you paraphrasing is probably the most helpful um, piece for (laughs) listeners (laughs) because I kind of have a splatter on the wall and then type of brain. So. Well, it's working, <laughs> and uh, I'm paraphrasing mostly so that I can remember and to make sure that I'm getting your ideas correct. 
Yeah. Because I don't want to misinterpret you or anything like that. Yeah. Because that would be no good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, we only have a, we only have a few more questions. Okay. And there's there's one that I want to come back to. I want to talk a little bit more about equity and diversity specifically. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I have a little bit of a I live a little bit of confusion because when I think about equity, it's giving people equal opportunity, but there is a level of genetic predisposition towards certain things. At least I think there mm. is. Do you think there isn't or? Um. Well, I mean. If you're talking about like race, for instance, race is a social construct. Yeah, I'm I'm referring to like individuals purely at the individual level. It's like if you take a random person and another random person, one person will be more predisposed to one thing and the other person will be more predisposed to another. It's like there's some people who are really good at soccer and then there's some people who aren't really good at soccer. Yeah, but you also have to take into consideration like nurture as well. And yeah, that's definitely that, true. You know you're never going to have two people that are exactly the same. And that's the whole idea of equity okay. is that you can't have, you know, can't be all equal because not everybody is equal. Not everybody mm -hmm. has had the same opportunities and experiences and privileges. So uh, equity plays into diversity in the sense that we need equity to reach a level of diversity. We need acknowledgement of inequities in order to create equities, right? So saying, okay, you know, this playing field isn't level. I mean, you take, for instance, like um, enrollment of, you know, or um, like people who don't have parents whose parents didn't go to post-secondary institutions, mm -hmm. right? And some people that parents did go to post-secondary institutions. The people who have parents that did go to post-secondary institutions are going to be more likely to have help with college applications, with mm -hmm. seeking out scholarships, with connecting with, you know, college recruits. Mm -hmm. Whereas people who don't have parents who went to post-secondary don't have that representation in their household. So equity is in terms of, you know, creating the same level of opportunity because the people mm. who do have parents that went to post-secondary because they have this help are now going to be more likely to go to post-secondary right okay so providing you know extra resources for those who don't have the same opportunity okay, is yeah, what yeah. equity means right yeah. so then from there okay so now we've got if the people who don't have parents who went to post-secondary are you know supplemented with um extra help from school counselors mm -hmm. or have specific, um, more accessible college information sessions, like having online sessions, having in-person sessions, um, mm -hmm. bringing college like ambassadors to those schools or rural communities yeah. Yeah. as opposed to having them go. That's creating equitable opportunity. Okay. And then from there, okay, so now we have the same amount of opportunity by providing these additional resources and additional aid for those that didn't have it, we can mm -hmm. have both people come to post-secondary. Oh, so okay. that's how we can create, you know, a diverse population okay. at post-secondary oh, okay. rather than having, you know, um, just the people that already have that opportunity because they have intergenerational, you know, privilege. 
Okay. Right? So what you're saying is that by pushing equity, diversity will occur. That's yeah. By that's increasing the, equity. the way I see it is in terms of like, um, if you don't provide people with the opportunity, then they won't reach that place, right? Oh, so okay. Equity takes into consideration systemic barriers and mm-hmm. injustices mm-hmm. and you know deficits of. Um, social, political, economic structures and, you know, all of that and makes things more accessible for folks who typically wouldn't get access to those things Mm -hmm. because of those injustices. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's like the idea of, you know, like, (laughs) it's more likely that a doctor's child is going to become a doctor than somebody who, you know, isn't a doctor. I can't think of another profession. Well, someone who's in a lower earning class or anything like that. Yeah, true. You know, so. just so I think that that that's something to really take into consideration is like that's why they have like preferential hiring, right? Where hmm. they give opportunities to you know um, queer folks and hmm. people of color, you know, black, brown, indigenous. Um, folks and more um and you know people with disabilities right that there's preferential hiring so that we can have we can create those opportunities for those folks so we can reach a place of diversity um so i mean i think in some circumstances we need discrimination (laughs) against the privileged in order to level that playing field air quotes so and so does that make sense I'm trying to I'm trying to understand it because it's like let's say there's two people applying for a job mm-hmm. and there's and there's one person who is obviously more capable and going to be uh, that's a difficult thing to say because then you're judging a person's abilities mm-hmm. but it's let's say they have an entrance exam and one person does better and one person does worse and deciding to choose the person who did worse because they were disadvantaged. I don't understand how that's entirely fair because the the test is supposed to be uh, unbiased. I know tests are commonly aren't unbiased, <laughs> so then you need to figure out a way to make it unbiased. And then in that case, then the test isn't measuring a person based on where they're at. But can we do that? Well, you can make. That's why, like standardized testing or regulations aren't actually effective because if you think about it you you can take a step further and say okay well why is this person not as qualified right yeah why it's probably because they haven't had the same opportunities that the other person has if you're taking into account um you know like a black person as opposed to a white person Mm -hmm. right um so and it also you have to think about power and positionality who's the person that's writing that test Mm-hmm. Who are they writing it for? Yeah. What, you know, what's that, where was that standard came from? Where did, where was that standard made? Yeah. You know, like all of our, even you think about, like for me personally in um, physical and health education, mm-hmm. the standard that's upheld in our educational institutions is one from a Eurocentric perspective. Mm-hmm. So it's the standards of health and, you know, of physicality, all of those are under a Eurocentric or Western 
perspective and standard. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's, you really have to peel back all of the layers in order to actually get to the core root of it to understand it. So that's why I think like preferential hiring is creating equitable opportunity because it's giving folks a, a chance at something that they typically wouldn't have a chance to and then through that okay. that's how we start to reform you know like oh. policies and structures because if you only continually have you know white heterosexual cisgendered people mm -hmm. at the top making the policies yeah. and yeah. you know making the standardized testing then that's they're going to continue continuously accommodate white cisgendered oh, okay. heterosexual yeah. folks mm -hmm. right it just continues mm -hmm. that yeah. cycle and system so that's why diversity is so important in bringing you know okay. the voices of marginalized populations okay. to the same level okay yeah, yeah and then seeing them as equal okay and creating a different you know um narrative and different opportunity and that's how we will see changes so essentially you're promoting diversity so that in the future we'll have a more equitable system because there will be many voices heard so they can actually hear everyone who's there. Well, we need equity to get diversity and through diversity we can promote equity. <laughs> it's kind so of it's a like, circle. It is a little bit um, in, in terms of, you know, and diversity is so important because like I said, a lot of the things that I know and that I've shared with you today are a result of the experiences of those who have been mm -hmm. oppressed by people like me and by mm -hmm. my ancestors. So without their voices, how the heck would I know? Right? Yeah. So that within yeah. itself is, you know, demonstrating that if we want social change to happen, we need, we need voices that have continuously been silenced to be mm -hmm. amplified and to be brought to the same level mm -hmm. and to be valued to the same extent that um, people in power's voices are, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Just, it's, uh, it's a big, it's a big thing to wrap your head around. Yeah. And yeah. even myself trying to articulate it is a bit, um, convoluted for sure. So well, I'm very, very <laughs> excited to hear it. And it's just your, the thing that you said about having many voices. I think that especially going forward into, well, the climate change and fighting a world that we're kind of goofing up. Well, we are goofing up <laughs> to prevent that. We need to look to other places because the way that we're doing things right now isn't working. And so listening to other voices is very important. It's particularly that of indigenous peoples. Yes. And, um, you know, they play a huge role in climate strategy and, um, you know, resource management and all of that stuff. Like, yeah. it's... Um, <laughs> Colonial uh, scientific approach to the climate crisis isn't really working because it's mm. corrupted through industry. <laughs> so it's, you know, like you think about um, how is the Department of Fisheries and Oceans also one of the main in investors in the fishing industry? It's like, that. Mm. how does that work? Right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, a lot of larger picture things that really mm. need to be analyze with a critical lens. I think that's kind of the mm -hmm. main takeaway of what I would encourage people to do is to um, really start questioning 
who you're listening to, <laughs> why they're trying to tell you what they're trying to tell you, and thinking about your own positionality and your own power and the implications that that has in your your life, right? Um, and the impacts that it has on other people more specifically. Okay. I think that that's really huge, at least um, for me. Understanding that I am a privileged person, I am a, mm -hmm. in a position of power, and saying, what the heck am I going to do with this in mm -hmm. a way that is important and impactful to other people? Okay. So I'm going to quote Spider-Man. Well, no, not Spider-Man, his uncle. And say, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is us. So uncle Ben? Is it Uncle Ben? Uh, yeah, it's Uncle yeah. Ben. You yeah. got it. You got it. Yeah. I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> I like it. So we only got a couple more, and then we can wrap it up. Do you have any favorite pieces of art that you've consistently come back to? Hmm. No. Could be a book, could be a painting, could be a song. Okay. Nothing comes to mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, it's all good. Well, I'm pretty sure something's going to come to mind for the last one. And this oh. is it. Imagine that I forget everything from our conversation and I forget everything that is any associated with you. Oh. I don't remember that Riley exists, but I remember this one thing that you teach me. What would the one thing be? Um, be radical. Oh. Um, think outside of the box. Cool. Um, stand up for others and challenge the status quo. Okay. Um, I think that we just really have to um, live our lives with integrity. Okay. And, you know, don't just be that one person that does a performative land acknowledgement. You know, mean it. <laughs> hmm. And um, understand, you know, the responsibilities that coincide with with your words and mm -hmm. um, live those, um, you know. And at the end of the day, people aren't always gonna like you for being the person that points out the blind elephant in the room. Um, but I think that if you're leading your life with integrity and you're doing it with intention and empathy and um, wanting to create a more just society for other people, mm -hmm. then who cares? If people like you. <laughs> so. You can live with yourself. Exactly. You're your own best friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know what my favorite color and my favorite food is, so... <laughs> Y'all can have whatever you like. <laughs> yeah. I'm not ordering that when I go to the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks for talking to me, Riley. Mm -hmm. yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for it. your time. And um, hope all goes well. I do too. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the few people that are listening? Um, eh, I don't know. I think it's just the opportunity to be able to talk and share what I've learned. Also, um, oh yeah, one last thing. Be mindful of language. Like we talked about briefly about mm -hmm. violent language, but also gendered language is really important. Okay. Um, and understand the implications of language in the spaces that you are going into. Mm -hmm. um, like the word guys is awful. Cut, oh, okay. it, cut it out of your vocab. <laughs> um, so I just say, hey, people, or... Yeah, hey, people, hey, friends, hey, everyone, hey, hey, party poppers, whatever you want. <laughs> My dear human beings. Yeah, um, folks is one that I always really refer, um, kind of fall back on, but just, yeah, being conscious of language and its impacts on other people is is another kind of final thing that I would word um 
So, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> and there we go. Right on. Hello, everyone. It's Simon. I know you thought you were done with me, but I've still got a few things to say. The first is thank you. I really appreciate that you're taking the time to listen to my conversations, and I hope that they're adding value to your lives. The second is that if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support me in what I'm doing, you can do that in a few ways. The first is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The second is by subscribing to my email newsletter. This can be found by going to my website, learningfromhumanity.com, scrolling down to the section titled Interviews, and filling out the form titled Want to Hear About New Content. The third way you can help me out is by following me on Instagram at learningfromhumanity. The mailing list and Instagram are similar in that those are the places where you will hear about cool new content. News of anything new will be shared via those channels. The final and most important way you can help me out is by suggesting a guest. The guests that I'm looking for are the old and the bold. The old are those who are 65 plus and can look back at their life and say, I have something to teach others about living well based on what I've learned over my years. The other category, the bold, consists of people like me, like you, maybe a few years younger, maybe up to the age of 35, who are actively trying to live the best life they can and have something to show for it. I'm not picky about who I interview, as long as they fit into those categories. It could be you, it could be your grandma, it could be your best friend who does uh, roller skating professionally, or makes really, really cool YouTube videos. I don't know who I'm going to interview, and I'm excited to find out. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for putting up with me gabbering on for so long. And I hope you have a great day.